This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. The Q&A, the diabetes research company. Diabetes Sisters, a world in which women are fully empowered to effectively manage their diabetes. What does diabetes look like for me on a daily basis? I figured it would be cool to pop in and for this hindsight thoughts, kind of share what my flexible routine is and kind of how I navigate through literal highs and lows living with diabetes, but also just kind of what my mindset is as I take on each day. As for those of us who live with it, no day is ever really the same and we all pray for consistency in our blood sugar numbers, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So how do I handle that? And I thought it would be cool to talk through this because I'm not perfect, y'all. And I feel like sometimes, especially those of us who decide to give you an inside scoop on what our lives are like with diabetes, might feel like it's all sunshine and rainbows and hundreds across the board, literally. But it's not. And that's okay. So let's dive into what my life is like while I'm living with diabetes. Let's do it. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your Nubia source for thriving with diabetes. I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennials living with diabetes have an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, and I had no one around my age to understand how I could still travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset perspective and lifestyle changes that are unique to you, together, we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk for those living with diabetes. Minus the entanglements, though. So let's do it. So, daily diabetes care for me has some core things that it includes because it's so honestly, predictably unpredictable (laughs) that I try to keep to these kind of four main things. And again, it's different day to day. I, I wish that I could say that if I've had a routine that I've stuck with that produced numbers that I expected, but the reality is that it doesn't, but I just try my best to follow these four things and I feel good about where I'm at. My numbers have responded well and I'm not finding myself as strained as I did when I started living with this six years ago. I do feel a lot more comfortable and more confident. I do still have my hard days for sure, but I'm able to navigate through them a little bit easier. So four main things is wearing my CGM and or using my manual meter, because sometimes I do take breaks from my CGM, which I'll talk about in a totally different episode, because I think it's important to think through and talk through when you're dealing with new technology, especially a wearable one. And the main goal is just keeping track of my blood sugar numbers throughout the day. With my CGM, it's obviously a lot easier to check multiple times a day, but I still ensure even when I'm 
on a break and I'm using my manual meter that I'm checking morning, midday and night and as needed in between. And then being mindful of what I eat, but not militant about what I eat. It's really stressful to for me to be on a restrictive eating regimen. So I do my best to listen to my body, having a work-life balance while still having fun, and then just dealing with the ups and downs and the mental um, strain that sometimes diabetes can have. So we'll kind of jump into CGM life. The biggest thing that I feel like has made a difference in having a CGM is for sure, even with the manual meter, when I wake up, checking my numbers. Now, with my manual meter, it's a little more difficult to be able to check what my waking numbers are while still laying down. And the reason why is the whole feet to the floor thing. Like as soon as you're physically rising, sometimes a trigger rises with it. Makes no sense to me. I mean, I guess I kind of get it, but you know, I call it the diabetic morning wood because that's kind of what it is. But, you know, at least when I have my CGM, my phone is typically next to my bed. So when I open my eyes and I'm alert and I'm telling myself, all right, it's time to get up, then I'll grab my phone, I'll scan my sensor and see where I'm standing. And it's just helpful to know what I did the night before and how it helped, whether I had dinner and what I had for dinner. And especially if I've stayed up late and I might have to get an additional snack or something like that, I do my best to check in on those things. I think it's important, but I don't hold myself, like I kind of take it with a grain of salt because again, just the act of waking, sometimes your numbers start to climb a little bit. So I try to do it while I'm still laying down because of that. But obviously with my manual meter, it's a little bit more challenging to do. My bed is a loft. There's not like a nightstand or anything. I'm trying to work on figuring out an option for that. But it's literally a sleeping bunk almost. Just king size. <laughs> so at least it's easier with the CGM. But the manual, I might have to wait till I climb down in order to do that. Working on it. I also try to ensure that I have water in my system first thing. I typically always have a mason jar filled with water or read up with water. I even when I go to sleep, I try to take a full cup to bed. I still have that habit from when I was first diagnosed of waking up and being thirsty. And it's not as bad as it was. I am actually sleeping through the night much better than I did. But I still like to have it ready for me, whether that's if I wake up in the middle of the night and I need something to drink or first thing in the morning. So that way I can immediately grab it. And, and knock it back. Sometimes it's a water bottle, but for the most part, it's my mason jar. And making sure that I keep myself hydrated throughout the day. But the biggest thing is like first thing in my system, get things going. Because I used to have the tendency to wake up, start doing stuff, and then I go for my morning coffee or tea or whatever breakfast beverage you like, if you will. So I try to make sure water's in my system first thing. That also kind of helps to lead into taking my medication. Now, I'm down to only taking one um, pill-based you know, medication for my diabetes. I've got the Sinjardi XR, and then I do the weekly Ozempic shot. But I was having trouble even when I was taking like the Combiglize, and it was two pills you know, a day, or even when I was still back on the metformin and glipizide, which was like five pills a day, to remember to do it first thing in the morning. And so when I was working with a diabetes educator, I somehow felt like my pill bottle that my meds came in, that was the only container that they could stay in. 
And it was more so because I was doing meds in the morning and in the evenings. And I was always forgetting the ev- the morning ones. So then I wouldn't take my morning meds until like midday at lunch and then my night ones. And that was leading to like crazy lows in the middle of the afternoon. So having my water first thing in the morning, it's just something about it because I usually always have water when I take my meds. So making sure that I have my water first thing in the morning instantly signals me, oh, while I'm drinking this, let me also go take my meds. And I've been a lot better about taking my meds in the mornings. It's not always perfect, but it's also once a day. And it was just recommended by my the endocrinologist that prescribed it to me to do it first thing in the morning. But it, it doesn't hurt as long as I'm taking it. That's the bigger piece, but I'm a lot better about taking it in the morning. Um, eating throughout the day. I, I do like to consider myself an intuitive eater, basically someone who doesn't, I see, I, I know the kind of more technical definition is you don't follow any type of diet regimen and you don't restrict yourself from anything. And that's kind of the tune that I follow, but I am working towards just ensuring that I'm putting more quality foods into my system. I don't know if I'll ever you know, stop eating meat and animal products altogether. I've thought about trying out vegan. And now that I've learned more about plant-based eating and the differences between the two, there's some thought there, but I really believe in a healthy balance. And something that I realized that I didn't see as an indirect motivator is actually the way that my mom's culture, my mom's culture, which is from Thailand, there's always veggies, like always. And I feel like There's this misconception in U.S.-based Thai foods that there's always rice and noodles and all that stuff like that. And it's not exactly the case. Um, Some really authentic Thai restaurants that I like to order from, they are always sending you a bunch of lettuce and there's always fresh tomatoes and sliced cucumbers that go along with what you're eating. And granted, do they still sometimes overdo the portions? I have to step in and make sure I don't eat the whole container. But there's always fresh veggies and there's always at least a vegetarian option for sure. Um, when you grow up in a country like that, meat wasn't always accessible. And I think that's something that we tend to forget for those of us who either are first generation or if you you know immigrated over and you're suddenly with this culture shock of the American diet. I remember a story that my mom would tell me about when they first moved to the States, how they used to go out and play in the jungle back in Thailand. And if you've ever been, there's fruit trees everywhere. So it wasn't difficult to really eat without having to buy anything because you literally could eat off the land. But when they got to the States, there was a forest behind my grandparents' house and they would go out into the forest and play and would come back starving. And I remember her saying that they were like a plant, like there's nothing to eat here because they're so used to their environment being able to produce that. So it really gave me perspective because she added later to that how my grandmother was shocked at American culture. She was like, you guys overcook your veggies. And to a degree, I agree with her. There was a time where it just seemed like we were cooking all of the nutrient stuff out of it. I used to find it weird when I would have green beans that were cooked completely through versus when my mom would do her stir-fried green beans, just a little bit of oil and some garlic and some salt. And it was the freshest, tastiest thing. And it was always crunchy because it wasn't cooked all the way through. And so 
when I look at traditional Thai dishes, especially hot Thai kitchen, seriously, I will make sure to link her website in there. I love her YouTube channel and she cooks all types of Thai food. I've seen plenty of my favorites and there's always a, a side of fresh veggies with it. I also think of the Korean culture and when you go to a Korean restaurant, you always get a spread of different types of kimchi and fresh veggies and things like that. And you go to a Japanese restaurant, it's usually a salad and, and miso soup. And not to say that Asian cultures are the only ones that do this, but realizing that because the American diet is kind of made up in a way, I mean, it's a melting pot of different cultures, but it's just not, it, it, it had to be this unique creation of itself that it's easy to forget that the rest of the world doesn't eat this way. I remember watching a documentary about, I believe it was like a low carb kind of keto lifestyle. It was kind of when keto was really hitting the scene. And there was a study being done in a third world country. And I, I cannot remember which country for the life of me, but they saw a spike in diabetes cases because this particular village and area was introduced to basically processed foods and they were being sent all this processed food they were getting stores and, and they were being sent to like coca-cola and processed carbohydrates and all these things that they normally weren't eating and suddenly their weight's going up and their blood sugar levels are going up and these medical professionals were going out there to try to understand the why as well as treat them and making sure that they had diabetes medication some of them had to be put on insulin and it's so interesting when you hear about these things of adopting western culture in eastern places and how suddenly things have shifted in their lifespan i make a point where if i go anywhere that is outside my norm i don't eat anything that i could get anywhere else so if there's a mcdonald's there i'm not going to eat mcdonald's i can get that at home not that i really eat mcdonald's anymore i'm not saying i have it in the past i'm gonna own up to that every now and then i have a relapse but for the most part i try not to eat at something that's like a fast food chain or something like that, that I can access when I'm at home. I think it's important to really, especially when traveling, embrace the culture of where you're at and especially experience cultural foods because there's still so much that we don't know about the types of foods that's out there. And obviously region matters because not everything that is culturally available in one region is available here. Like for example, breadfruit. Just look it up, but just know you can basically cook it like you would a potato and it tastes just like it. And it's so good. And it's something that I recognize as local to Jamaica from when I went. And I'm sure it's in other you know parts of the Caribbean, but that's its climate. So to expect breadfruit here, it's a lot. I, I had to pause to talk to you about a service that I've actually been using. That service is 9 a.m. Health. 9am Health is a virtual diabetes clinic that makes it so easy to manage without having to leave my house. I'm talking A1C labs done from home, medication shipped directly to your house, having your own diabetes care specialist who helps you with all of the little things that go in between management, things like helping with food or lifestyle changes or changing certain habits, they will support you in all of that. It is so much cheaper than what I was paying with insurance. So I'm really grateful for 9am Health and everything that they're providing in order to make someone like myself 
have an easier time with diabetes care management because we all know it can be really challenging, but to know that I can text, call, or send them a message on the online app in order to get support. And I don't know about you, but trying to take off time from work to go to the doctor, having to sit in the waiting room for 30 minutes only to meet with your doctor for five, it's just such an archaic experience, and I really feel that 9am Health changes all of that. Would love for you to try it out. Click the link in the show notes and tell them I sent you. If you're like me and you've been involved in the diabetes community, I've always felt like, how can I contribute to our growth? That's where DQ&A comes in. DQ&A is a diabetes research company that sends out quarterly surveys in order to ask questions and learn about what those living with diabetes go through. Each survey always has a theme and provides different types of questions from what type of medication do you take to have you experienced burnout before? And our answers help research stuff that we may need. And I think that's pretty awesome. I joined as a member and have began taking the surveys. It's a quick way to lend your perspective and to support furthering research on ways that diabetes can get better, especially the responses of people of color. The surveys don't take long at all, and they compensate you for your responses. Each time that you complete one, you can either get like an Amazon gift card, direct cash through like PayPal, or you can have those funds donated to your favorite foundation. Thanks to DQ&A for sponsoring this episode. If you want to get involved, click the link in the show notes. Being diagnosed with diabetes is definitely a challenge. Add to that the ups and downs of being a woman, and it gets even more complicated. That's where a community like Diabetes Sisters steps up. The Diabetes Sisters has an educational platform and support system where we can get together and talk about the things that we experience. It's for women of all ages and stages and for all types of diabetes. What I love about Diabetes Sisters is they have a wealth of knowledge on their blog, on their forums, but they even have community support through pods where I can actually meet up with local women and have in-person conversations or virtual conversations to talk about the things that we go through. It's a great place for sisterhood and community. I appreciate that it's their mission to improve the health and quality of life for women with diabetes and to advocate on their behalf. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about how you can get involved. And thank you, Diabetes Sisters, for sponsoring this episode and for supporting and advocating for women everywhere. I don't put pressure on myself to meet certain standards of eating. I am mindful, though. So if I'm going to you know, order something to have it delivered, I make sure that it's not the carb heaviest thing or that it's super fried or whatever. I make sure that I have a balance of protein, fat, and fiber. And usually that fiber is some form of vegetable, especially if it's fried or stir fried. I don't eat as much of it. I try to eat more of the fiber rich thing or more protein or whatever to keep that balance. Same thing with my kitchen. I don't keep a lot of processed stuff in the house. Do I keep oatmeal in the house? Absolutely. But a lot of my food that I do have to cook and I'm trying to find a balance between like ready eat meals and something that I might have to take anywhere from you know, 15 to 30 minutes to make or longer, depending on what it is. So I have a lot of frozen and fresh food that I get, even if it's bagged fresh food and it's mostly veggies and things like that. Now my freezers got quite a bit of meat and I've recognized I've slowed down 
and eating meat. I still do, but I'm trying my best not to order out anymore because sometimes that's just what the fill-in is. But even cooking it, I've been doing like stir fries and just adding eggs to it for protein. Like I have not been super heavy because it's a process. I got to thaw it out, uh, clean it. I got to do all this stuff to it. And when it's just me and I'm so used to cooking for four (laughs) from living back home, I just have not implemented the right strategies of like, when I do buy fresh chicken or whatever to separate them into like individual setups and frozen bags. That way I'm not pulling out a full pack of chicken. I'm pulling out like three frozen pieces or something. So a part of that is just strategy. But I have been eating a lot more plant-based meals. So I've just kind of conditioned myself, especially when I did the paleo diet a long time ago. It really helped me get off of processed stuff. So I don't do pastas very often. I barely keep bread in the house. Every now and then I get cravings to like, I really like sandwiches, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And do I like brands like Sola and their low carb bread? Sure, but the bread is kind of small. I'm not gonna, I have to make two. If I want PB&J, I have to make two to equate to one. (laughs) And then every now and then I will, you know, uh, buy some whole wheat bread and make sandwiches off of that. And I load them with veggies. I love sub sandwiches. Just a lot of bread. <laughs> but I, I am conscious about what I take in. And with all of that, I'm drinking a hell of a lot of water. I don't keep candy or chips or anything like that in the house. I do have them sometimes, but it's kind of like a once a month treat, if you will. I don't even know if once a month is even the cadence anymore. But I'll have it, you know, especially if it's that time of the month. I'll have it. I don't go crazy with it. I had a huge bag of Sour Patches uh, a while back and it took me forever to get through it because I just can't eat candy like that anymore. So I found a balance. I'm ready to kind of take it to the next level, honestly, and try out maybe more plant-based stuff or really getting back into cooking, working from home. You would think it'd be easy to cook, but it's not as simple as you think when you're just mentally drained or you just feel uninspired by food and even more so the mess and cleaning the kitchen afterwards. (laughs) That is, if someone could just clean my kitchen for me, I would cook a lot more. I just know that the kitchen's not going to be a nightmare when I get to it. Speaking of working from home, my work-life balance is I'm still trying my best to separate them better. It's a lot easier when you work from home to pick up your phone and go through stuff. I actually have two phone lines, but I need to get a new second phone with the intent to separate my work from my personal phone. So that way I'm not tempted to start responding to emails and doing all these things because being at home does blur that line. Part of why I decided to turn my bedroom into a studio and build a loft out in my living room for my sleeping area is so that I could leave work behind. I could close the door and leave it behind. I was staying up crazy late working on stuff all the time. I would be tired, cranky, and sleep is a huge part of diabetes management. Sleep is a huge part of just quality of life in general. So making sure that I was getting enough sleep, even if I was crashing on the couch, was important to me. Because not every night do I make it up that ladder. I'll be honest. Sometimes I just sleep on the couch. (laughs) But that's okay. But I'm not 
in my workspace and tempted to do work. Now, having a laptop and an iPad definitely doesn't aid to that. And I'm starting to get to a place where I'm like leaving that in in my studio. So I don't jump to working on stuff. I would like to even get to a point where my laptop isn't a work laptop at all. It's just for house maintenance stuff or researching vacations or whatever, just, you know, servant scroll stuff. But I think getting two phone lines was the biggest step. And I just need to get a second phone to reiterate that because we have, as much as technology is great, we've packed so much into our phones to where we can never put work down. And I am really adamant about drawing hard lines in the sand about not letting work bleed into my personal time. And when you work for yourself, that structure from working in a corporate setting, I didn't realize how much I would miss it because I had something to leave. So I put a lot of work in making sure that I separate my time. I time block my calendar and I very much do my best that when I'm done, still working on not looking at emails every five seconds and responding to DMs and all that stuff like that. I literally block time in my calendar to, to do all of that. So I don't, especially when I want to spend time with my friends, family, or my partner. I think the last thing that comes up and that has probably been the biggest component in my day-to-day management is managing my mental health. And for a while, I only saw managing my mental health for relationships and work. But I didn't realize how much I had buried just from dealing with living with this condition. And so I started to really address a lot more of the feelings that I had with living with diabetes, especially when. I first started healing in hindsight as a blog. I was adamant about doing everything that I could to get off medication. I don't think that's still, or that's not, it's not something that I've fully given up on. But now that I've learned a lot more, especially the hereditary piece, that there's a, it's just complicated. It's very complex. And the way that I was trying to approach naturally managing my diabetes, which is what I would call it. I don't know if reverse is my word per se, because I feel like once you've lived with it, it would probably take me like a year or two to stop looking over my shoulder or stop checking or whatever. And I did say one of my goals was now that I have a CGM is to get to a space where I, you know, can come off of my medication. I would still continue to wear a CGM for a year to make sure I'm I'm stable. And then I would come off and just continue managing through my lifestyle changes, but not checking my numbers every five seconds. So my mental health, I had to really, truly sit down and address how diabetes was impacting me. And that included the days where I felt really tired. And I just like saying, okay, to, I don't want a diabetes today. Knowing that I can't really not do that, but feeling okay if I want to order a burger and I know my alarm is going to go off or whatever. And that's the part that I used to really shame myself for is you're about to eat this candy and you know that it's going to spike you. Like, how could you be so irresponsible with that? Elevated blood sugars like this. 
especially if it's a long period of time, like that's not okay. Like you're literally harming yourself. And I had to really sit down with myself and just give myself permission to just, it's okay. Especially when I'm traveling or I go see my family and I'm still conscious. And even like with my partner, he tries to help me as well. I had to truly face and say, it's okay if today is not a good diabetes day. It's okay if the numbers are not working how you need it to be. It's okay if you need to just take the day and lay here and worry about getting stuff done tomorrow. And I know that's not always an easy thing for everyone to do, especially if you're still working for a company and there's rules and you can't call out sick every single time that you're just not feeling it. I totally understand that culture I used to live in. But because of what my position is now, I have that flexibility and I shouldn't strain myself to still follow practices that might be unhealthy for me. So I really had to come to a place of being okay with not being okay. Really owning how diabetes impacts me because I was really nervous about sharing a lot of that. I was really to myself. I wouldn't really tell my friends. Even if I was having a low, I, I wouldn't talk much about it. I would just kind of go off in a corner or if my attitude got weird or whatever. I wouldn't acknowledge that diabetes is impacting me right now. And now I refuse to not. Now, I don't use diabetes as like an escape goat, right? Like everything I'm blaming on diabetes. I know the distinction of this is diabetes impacting me and this is just me not wanting to do shit. Or this is me just feeling sorry for myself because I'm not where I want to be in these areas of life. I, I know the distinction. And sometimes there has been. There's, there was one time where I pretty much spent the whole week where like literally diabetes was kicking my ass. I just could not get out of the funk. And my numbers were so crazy. I was low and then I was high and I was low. And it's tiring. It's exhausting, especially when I feel my lows way harder than my highs. But like when I hit my low, I start sweating. All of that, like it's exhausting on top of feeling just general fatigue from it. It's exhausting. But I also had to acknowledge that I can't blame diabetes for everything that's not working for me. I truly know the difference. And when I do know that it's a diabetes thing that's happening and I don't beat myself up because it's happening, there's too many things that go on in my head for me to be the main person guilting and shaming myself because of what's going on. Because there have been moments where I'm going high and I'm like, why am I going high? I've barely even eaten today. I still have days where I'm pushing myself and working so hard that I for get to completely eat until my stomach is if you don't feed me I will make you collapse so my mental health I had to shift to be number one and one of the things that I've been doing in parts of my routine is taking back my mornings so I do my I don't have even you know with guests and things like that I don't take meetings earlier than 10. My recording times are now later in the afternoon. And from like 
basically when I wake up, because I wake up anywhere between six and eight. Uh, I do have alarms, yeah, but I try to let my, I try to naturally blow into it. But if the sun's beaming on my face, I'll get up. But between six and eight in that rising, and then from that time to 10, it's for me. And then because I do also live stream, I have a block of time for that. But that's also kind of for me, even though I do make money from it. It's for me. It's it's my indirect grounding ritual, if you will, to enjoy something that I want to do and then go to work. And I'm not working crazy eight-hour days, but I can if I want to. And they're not going to be crazy eight-hour days. It's just, hey, I'm going to put in more time for this. So I feel like that was a bit of a ramble, but it's it's just all to say that, like, my mental health has been top priority because it's what impacts my physical health and even my spiritual health, like grounding myself, journaling, meditating, praying, making sure that I feel good moving forward in the next set of actions that I'm about to take is so important for me. And it impacts how I take care of myself when it comes to my diabetes management. So that's kind of a a peek, you know, into it. I, again, my day-to-day is so fluid and flexible and it doesn't always happen the way that I expect it to, but I stopped really tying myself to hard set routines, very militant, rigid routines, and just keeping these flexible. Time blocking really has helped with that, but you know, even then I, I flow with what feels right for my body. So I hope that was insightful. I, th- I hope that if anybody is listening to this and they feel like they have to have this hard press routine that you don't feel overwhelmed by that and that you can have fluidity and how you manage. I just feel like having those grounding anchors, it has kept me going of making sure I'm just continuously checking my levels, being mindful of what I eat, but not shaming myself for eating something that might not fit in what people think is a diabetes diet, having a work-life balance and making sure I still have fun. I I still go out. I still hang out with friends. I still even if it's as simple as playing video games or getting to binge a Netflix show, whatever relaxes me, I make sure that I have room for that. And then managing my mental health, which I feel is the biggest key of that because that impacts how I continue on in the next day. So thanks for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Seriously, though, thank you guys for you know, listening, I hope this was helpful in some kind of way, because I know that it can be a lot when you are just trying to take it, you know, one step at a time. It is what it is. But my day to day is not overly complicated. I try to make it as smooth as possible, even when I know diabetes is going to come in and throw a monkey wrench at any moment. Maybe I'll post more. I know I don't do the greatest job of showing that side of things. I'm trying to be better about it. But because I move so fluidly, Picking up my phone to suddenly post a picture about it it doesn't always come to me. (laughs) So I will try to be conscious and make some conscious content maybe of showing what that looks like. So make sure that you're following on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok if you want to see all of that. And let me know. I'd be curious as to what your daily routine is. Do you have a more strict routine 
or do you kind of go with the flow? If you're working for a company, I'd love to know your perspective on how you navigate and have a work-life balance while still managing your diabetes in a safe and in a way that feels good to you, even when you're getting hit with weird things, especially if you're having those days where you're not feeling well because of diabetes. I'm thankful that I didn't really experience that. And if I didn't notice, I'll be honest, I didn't factor that in, but I, this is the most effort and most time that I've been able to spend really being in my business, whereas previously everything else was first. So I was so just grinding (laughs) that I couldn't even realize if it was impacting me or not. So let me know what your routine looks like if you're still, even if you're working from home or if you're still going into an office, but if you're working for somebody else, I'd be curious to know that. And of course, make sure you listen on all your favorite podcast platforms or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know we got the big four here, but there's plenty more. I'm sure I'm on it. And make sure you share with friends and family. And it doesn't have to be because they have diabetes. We're human. We go through shit. And my goal is to really create this lifestyle brand that shows us in a more positive light of how we do what we got to do and live our best lives and still manage our diabetes in a way that fits us. So until next time, I am excited, excited, if I can talk today, I'm excited for you guys to hear this week's guest. I think it's going to be a cool episode and a lot to chew on, especially in terms of dealing with those moments where diabetes is just really jabbing at you. But until then, I will catch you guys next time. Bye.